welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center, located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew continues in the Bible series on the book of Hebrews with this message entitled, The New World Order. If you have a Bible with you, please turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. Now, here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. We found ourselves in the miry pit. And thank you, Heavenly Father, for your design, your purpose, your eternal plan to send your Son, Jesus Christ, to into our pit, to lift us out of the miry clay. And you planted our feet upon solid rock, and you granted us a song to sing, even praise to our God. In Jesus Christ, you have crowned us with glory and honor. Lord, this morning, help us to realize who we really are in Jesus Christ and enjoy this great salvation. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The New World Order. Our politicians speak of the new world order. I suppose established by thriving global trade and resulting prosperity and peace. And you could see all world leaders coming to the United Nations to sing Kumbaya. (laughs) There will be no war because war will destroy prosperity. Knowledge will increase and all will become world citizens and love one another. To make money and money will save us all. Now today I'm not speaking about this new world order of politicians. I'm today speaking about the new world order of Jesus Christ. You are talking about the kingdom of God. That this text of Hebrews 2, 5 through 9 is speaking about. The author told us in the first four verses that we must pay our fullest attention to the gospel we heard. The gospel which spoke of our great salvation. Pay fullest attention that we may not drift away from it. This salvation has to do with the new world order in which not angels but the people of God rule with Jesus Christ all creation. The truth is all God's people have already entered the new world order, the kingdom of God which Jesus Christ introduced in these last days. It is the messianic age which began with the first coming of Christ. And this new world order, this kingdom of God will manifest itself in greater fullness when Christ comes again. But even now we are told that he is seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven as king of kings and lord of lords of the new world order. And Paul tells us, we also are seated with Christ. In this new world order, 
we experience the powers of the age to come. The kingdom of God in all his, its power has invaded into this present age. And we are already experiencing the powers of the age to come. As we read in chapter 6, 4 and 5. And we are experiencing good things of this new world order. As we read in Hebrews 9 verse 11. Good things, sir. I'm experiencing good things. Justification. Forgiveness of all sins. Adoption. Sanctification. We are experiencing good things. The Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We are experiencing good things. That we see Jesus. Crowned with glory and honor. Good things. That the Spirit enlightens us. That we are not like pigs looking down. We are looking up. Into this world order and all its blessings that accrue to us. We are looking for the coming of an enduring city. Chapter 13 verse 14. Because there is no enduring city here. The new world order consists of an enduring city that is coming. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, people of God, there is a way to belong to this new world order. And that is a simple way. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. My question to you, have you done so? If you have, then you are citizens of this new world order, the kingdom of God. And we are told in chapter 2, verse 5, First, it is not subjected to angels, this new world order. The new world order of Jesus Christ and his people is not subjected to angels. Apparently, there are indications that the present world order is subjected to angels. And when we read Deuteronomy 32 and verse 8 in the Septuagint, We read this way, he set bounds of the people according to the number of angels. Kata arithmon angelon. That is, administrations of various nations were parceled out among the number of angelic princes. And when we read the book of Daniel, for instance, let us turn to it in chapter 10. And we get uh, this idea that this may be so. Daniel 10, 12 through 13. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. So it appears there are good angels and there are fallen angels and fallen angels in charge of certain kingdoms and so on. Let's look at verse 20. 
So he said, do you know why I have come to you soon? I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. And turn to chapter 12 of Daniel, verse 1. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. So there is a certain understanding that somehow this present world order has been submitted to angels. There was a Dead Sea Scroll sect which expected two messianic figures to come. One king, another priest. Of course, the priest will be superior to the king. But both messianic figures would function under Michael, the archangel. This particular sect believed that the world to come, the new world order, would be subjected to angels. And it may be that the author is reacting to such conception of certain people of God. But the author of Hebrews declares that the world to come is not subjected to angels. In verse 5, chapter 2 of Hebrews. But now the question is, to whom is the world to come subjected then? And so the second point is man's original destiny. What is man's original destiny? And so the author cites Psalm 8 from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The author now quotes Psalm 8 in proof of man's original destiny. This psalm speaks of the majesty of God, the utter insignificance of man, and yet the amazing dignity that God conferred upon man when he created him in his image and likeness. Turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 1. And beginning with verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. We are not told angels are made in God's image. In our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air and uh, over every living creature that moves on the ground. In the Hebrew text, we read that God made man a little lower than God. That is, God conferred upon man such dignity that man was accountable only to God. But of course, in the Septuagint, we read that God made man a little lower than angels. The word Elohim is translated by the Septuagint translators to mean angels. Whatever it is, God crowned man with glory and honor. 
And we are told here, God put everything under man's feet, under his sovereignty. Man was God's vicegerent. Man was to rule the world for God. It appears when God created man, his intention was that man was to rule not only over the flock, the birds, and the fish of the sea, not only this planet, earth, but it appears God's original intention was that man rule over the entire creation, including angels. What great dignity God conferred upon man, a little speck of dust. Third, the utter failure of man in fulfilling his destiny. And you read this in verse 8. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to him. Hmm, The writer sees a problem. Something has gone seriously wrong. That man has failed to rule. The author says, yet at present, we do not see everything subject to man as originally intended by God. Not yet. Man chose to sin against God's word, and so he died, he fell, and in him the whole world fell. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He is dead in trespasses and sins. He is an enemy of God. Sin rules his life. He is no master. He is a slave to sin, death, and the devil. He is no master. He is mastered by the devil. He is not blessed, but he is cursed. Turn to Genesis chapter 3 and let us read verse 16 through 19. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing with pain. You will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are. And to dust you will return. What is man? He is not ruler. And the most powerful man dies. And what Martha said is true of every man. Behold, he stinketh. Mighty man, powerful man. is a slave of death. He has become mortal. Which was not God's original intention. Wages of sin is death. His environment also suffers due to man's sin. So we see thorns and pests and germs and diseases, pain, war, death. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, where St. Paul is speaking to us, beginning with verse 18. Romans 8, 
I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Speaking about the new world order. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. It was a serious problem when man sinned. Man fell from the pinnacle of dignity to the bottom of hell. He became without glory and pervasively sinful. The writer does not say at the present time we do not see anything subject to man. He says at the present time we do not yet see. There is a sense of hope and optimism in that statement which speaks about our sin, yet there is hope. We read, we do not yet see everything subject to man. It appears there is hope for the fallen man. How can man, the fallen man, the wicked man, the dying man be helped to his former God-intended glory and honor? How he needs a mediator, a restorer, a redeemer, a reconciler. He needs redemption, justification, reconciliation, and needs a ransom. Number four, God's plan for man still stands. It is the intention always of God that man rule for him, all his creation. And in spite of the fall, the plan still stands. David in Psalm 8 spoke of the majesty of God, the greatness of God in heaven, or greatness of God's heaven, and the utter insignificance of man. And I believe David is speaking about man also in his fallen condition. Man has sinned, man is fallen, he is not a ruler, he is a captive to Satan and death. Man must be destroyed and wiped out from the face of the earth. It would be just for God to send all fallen humans into hell. Yet God refuses to do this. God has a plan to restore him to his former glory, yea, to even greater glory than Adam ever had before his fall. Amazing grace. And so, turn to chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews and take a look at this quotation. Verse 6, What is man that you are mindful of him? Son of man that you care for him. And I would say, what is man? That this sinful man, miserable man, that you think about him. This miserable, wretched man, that you care for him. The word, what is man, that you remember him. That word appears in chapter 13 and verse 3 of the book of Hebrews. So it is not remembering in a theoretical sense. It is remembering to help you. Remember your lost estate and come to the aid of. 
So look at verse 3 of chapter 13. Remember those in prison. What does that mean? <laughs> it means what? You go and help them. Give them food. Give them clothing. Give them fellowship. That's the idea here, remember means. What is man that you, God, the Holy God, should remember him to help him? The other word is, what is man that you would care for him? That word care for him appears in Matthew 25 and verse 36. Let's take a look at it to understand its meaning. Matthew 25 and verse 36, it says here, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and then comes this word, you looked after me. The idea then is, again the same idea, that to care for means to visit. That means to go and help somebody who is in serious trouble. Turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 68 and 78. Zechariah is saying, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has come, that is what this word is. He has come from heaven in Jesus Christ. He has come to our pit to help us out of our misery. And verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. God remembers to help him in his fallen state of misery. God visits him to save him. God sends his eternal son to take upon himself human nature and visit man to help him. Number five, paradise lost, but paradise gained. That is, Jesus wins what Adam lost. So take a look at chapter 2 and verse 9. But we see Jesus. We do not see everything subject to man, but we see Jesus. There is hope. There is sunshine. Hallelujah. There is optimism. That God remembered, God cared, God visited the fallen human beings in Jesus Christ. We do not yet see man ruling over all the works of God's hands. He's a sinner, he's a slave to Satan and sin and death. He needs a restorer, a mediator, a reconciler. So the author says what? But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, but now crowned with glory and honor. Chapter 1 of Hebrews spoke of the superiority of Jesus, especially his deity. But chapter 2 is speaking of the humanity of Jesus. We see Jesus. We see one who is the savior of the world. We see the mediator. Paul said there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all men. We see Jesus. Can we say that together? We see Jesus. Praise you, O God. It is not all doom and gloom and misery. We see Jesus. 
we see Jesus God man we see Jesus without sin we see Jesus our perfect substitute we see Jesus our atonement we see Jesus who knew no sin who became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him we see Jesus the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world We see Jesus who died for our sins and was raised for our justification. We see Jesus, a human being who could identify with us. The author uses the name Jesus 13 times in this epistle. We see Jesus. It's in the present tense. It means we are seeing Jesus continually. Look at chapter 3 verse 1. Therefore holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling. What is it? Fix your thoughts on Jesus. I wonder what are you seeing. When you mumble and grumble. And and complain. Get angry and miserable and riled up. We must see Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Turn to Hebrews 12. And there we. Read in verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We see Jesus, sir, by faith in the word of God. We see Jesus. There is sunshine, there is hope, there is salvation, there is joy. You cannot see Jesus, who is crowned with glory and honor, and be miserable, and be defeated, and be messed up, and be hopeless. I wonder, what are you seeing? May God help you to see Jesus. Brothers and sisters, keep on seeing Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Anyone who is a sinner can look to him and be saved. Answer to our sin is seeing Jesus. Jesus was made a little lower than angels. Why? Because angels cannot die. We want someone who is able to die in our place and for our salvation. So the son became incarnate for the suffering of death. He became incarnate, we are told, to taste death. The purpose of incarnation is stated there in verse 9, so that he may taste death. And the meaning of that word means to experience fully The complete bitterness and pain of death eternal. Jesus Christ tasted it. He suffered death in all its gruesome pain and misery. Not just being beaten to a pulp in his physical body. We must understand that's not the whole story. The whole story is the spiritual suffering. The wrath of God poured upon him. That he went to hell. In our place. On the cross. No one ever suffered death like that. So I said the son became incarnate for the suffering of death. He became incarnate to taste death. To experience the bitterness of eternal death. In our place. So that we do not have to die. The purpose of incarnation is clearly stated in verse 9. Was that Jesus may die our death on the cross. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. And Paul tells us 
that I've been crucified with Christ. When Christ died, I died. Christ died for sin, I died to sin. I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself in place of me. Hallelujah. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. The implication of this tasting of death by Christ, St. Paul draws the implication of it in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced of what are we convinced of that one died for all therefore all died hallelujah I believe Christ died in my place as my representative as my mediator therefore I do not die that's the glory of Christianity. He died that atoning death by the grace of God. He died that atoning death for every man, it says. Now, you have to think about it. We can say he, if he died for everyone, then there will be universal salvation. We can close up hell. There's nobody will go to hell. See, you need to think. Everyone doesn't mean everyone. See, that takes a little more thinking. But here everyone means everyone without distinction. Everyone of every race who would repent and believe in, in Jesus, our only atonement. Now, don't believe me, but let's take a look at it because this, the text defines everyone. Turn to chapter 2 and verse 10. In bringing many sons to glory. So everyone is a son who is to be brought to glory. Everyone here can mean every son. Or turn to chapter 2 and verse 11. We'll preach from this text next week. But chapter 2 verse 11. Both the one who makes men holy... And those who are made holy are of the same family. So everyone means those who are made holy. Isn't that true? That's right. Or look at verse 11. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. So everyone means what? Come on. Brothers of Jesus. That's what it is. Look at... Uh, Chapter 2 and verse 13. It says, here am I and the children God has given me. So everyone is children God has given to Jesus Christ to redeem. And you read uh, John chapter 17, it will tell you. And look at uh, verse 16. And it says, everyone, who is everyone? Abraham's descendants, we are told. And look at verse 17 again. Everyone is the people of God. Look at verse 15. Everyone is that person who is delivered from the fear of death. Everyone. We see Jesus. Crucified, dead and buried. We see Jesus raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. We see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. We see Jesus fulfilling Psalm 8. 
we see Jesus fulfilling what Adam and his descendants failed to know. Adam lost. Jesus found. We see Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We see Jesus to whom all creation is subject right now. If you don't want to believe it, at least let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 27. There are many scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 27. And it says, For he has put everything under his feet. Already happened. Because he suffered death, God crowned him with glory and honor and put all things under his feet. Ephesians 1.22 and so on. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 22. It says, Who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers, what? In submission to him. He said, All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Or to take a look at Philippians chapter 2. Because of his faithfulness in obeying God, especially because of his death, verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I say, we see Jesus. I say, we see a new world order. When Jesus entered heaven as King of kings and Lord of lords, we who are united with him by faith entered heaven also with him. When he died, we died with him. When he was raised, we were raised with him. When he was seated as sovereign over all creation, we are also seated with him. In Jesus Christ, we have gained glory and honor, which we lost in Adam. Every believer in Christ rules with Christ even now. What are you mourning about and groaning about and complaining about and weeping about? I feel sorry for you. And I command you and counsel you, see Jesus. That will solve the problem. Hallelujah, see Jesus. His triumph is your triumph. His rule is your rule. His power is your power. His position is your position. Hallelujah. Every believer in Christ rules with Christ even now. Yet we wait for the full manifestation of this new world order where a regenerated person live with Jesus Christ in a new heaven and new earth search where there is no sin, no pain, no death, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we still cry and pray thy kingdom come. I want to tell you, only true believers in Jesus Christ belong to this new world order. All enemies of God shall be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death, the destiny of all unbelievers. The new world order belongs to us in Christ. We rule over all creation, including angels. You want to believe that? Well, let's turn to First, first Corinthians chapter 3. I can... Read to you many verses, chapter 3, beginning with uh, verse 20. 1 Corinthians 3, 20 and following. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no more boasting about men. All things are yours. Is that exaggeration? Hyperbole? All things are yours. 
whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. Hallelujah. Let's praise the Lord. First Corinthians 6, look at verse 3. Do you not know that we will judge angels? All are yours. Brought by Christ's death, he has secured dominion for himself and all he represents. And all who are united with him by faith. All his brothers. I have news for you. I do not intend to sing Kumbaya with the world political leaders. And I will sing in the kingdom of God of the new world order of Jesus. How great thou art. The author tells us, pay most careful attention to the word you heard. Your misery, your confusion, your complaint, your anxiety, your fear is because we do not pay the full attention to the gospel we heard. Pay most careful attention. Second, the gospel speaks of a new world order where Christ and his people rule over all created realities. Third, a new world order where death is not the last word. Nobody would say, behold, he stinketh. Life is the last word. Everlasting life. Number four, a new world order where God's people even now are liberated from the fear of death. Do you understand that we have been liberated from the fear of death? Paul says neither death nor life can separate us from the love of God. Hallelujah. Everybody else is afraid of death. Not the Christian. Christ tasted death. For us. And we shall never die. Let me ask you. Are you a member of this new world order. Of Jesus Christ. There is only one way. To become a member of this new world order. By faith in Jesus Christ. Because he triumphed. And his triumph can be yours. By uniting with him. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved sir. You will be liberated from death and shame and misery and defeat and slavery. You will also be crowned with glory and honor. And you will once again resume rulership. Authority and government. Finally, let me ask you. Whom are you seeing with your mind's eye on a daily basis? Do you see Jesus crucified and crowned with glory and honor? If you do, life is all right. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for... This great salvation. This new world order. You have already transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your dear son. We are members of the new world order. We are seated with Christ 
we are crowned with glory and honor. Hallelujah. What Adam lost, Jesus Christ gained for us. Thank you, O Lord. Kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It is life everlasting. Death has been defeated once and forever. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the triumphant one. Hallelujah. Death is not our master. Jesus Christ is our master. And in him... We have life, life everlasting. Amen. You have been listening to part three in the Bible series on the book of Hebrews. Come back soon for more transforming Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.